The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five UFC debuts with special guest Jordan Killian. We're going deep, ladies and gentlemen. Strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Up, you savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com and five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we usually break down high-level MMA, and we kind of still are. This is a top five episode. A top five episode always comes in handy in the week where there's, you know, no fight cards. Uh, this episode, we'll get into it in a second, was intended to be last week, but thankfully, my guess... Once again, awesome co-host Jordan Killian at J Killian MMA is here to join us tonight. What's up, Jordan? Hey, dude! So happy to be on with you. Glad you're feeling okay and uh, got those island supplements in your body. Yeah, yeah. We were uh, making a reference to a uh, <laughs> one of many taint, uh, or, you know, a tainted supplement case that you know, in recent light, not to timestamp the episode too much, but in recent light with a Josh Barnett Usada overturn, you know, it it, it kind of. Uh, Makes it different when, when me and Jordan reach back all the way to 2008 for these Sean Shirk references that we're yeah. <laughs> currently using. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. He's a muscle shark, man. He was all natty. Look at that. <laughs> Look at the traps on that guy. Oh, that's so great. Oh, the muscle shark came out to the jaws and everything. Oh, man. We were just kind of talking about that. But, uh, but what we're actually referencing is that I, I took some steroids and how that relates to this episode was uh, we were originally supposed to record this last week and uh, literally on my way home. I start getting freaking dizzy because, you know, Dan, Tom, we're not going to get too into it, but health has not been been, been lucky with him. And essentially, it's, it's, I'm okay. It's just my, my, my glands essentially swole to the point where it was cutting stuff off and I was getting dizzy. And apparently, there's something going around in Vegas and even virile, you know, I don't even know if virile is the young word or whatever, but that's the word the doctor used. Kind of creepy <laughs> now that I look back at it. But virile young people <laughs> with good immune systems like myself uh, are still, you know, in his office, uh, dealing with it so um hopefully i'm out of the woods i think three months is enough but either way we're here now that's what's important we're here now jordan and i'm excited for this topic and this was your idea actually right yeah you know what when you man we're gonna i'm gonna date myself here back when you and i were talking right when you were getting ready to start this podcast you're like i, I want to do this idea where we're gonna have a top five list and i'll break it down with other other people who love the sport and i was like instantly the first thing i ever thought of was like top five ufc debuts like because i've always thought about it and i've always talked with other other people about it like who do you think had the, had the best ufc debut of all time man so I'm so happy we're getting to, uh, getting to do this today, and uh, thanks for entertaining me and, and allowing me to pick the topic. I'm glad you reminded me of the topic because I liked it initially, of course, but when I got into it, and we were kind of talking about this off air, but this was a topic that this is no short. If there's any challenge, it's just making the list. There is no shortage of things to choose from, and when I was doing my research, um, Jordan, you weigh in here, tell me how you felt, but I felt like I couldn't watch enough footage. Like I could just, even with the delay, I kept finding more things after I thought my list was set. 
No, dude, uh, same thing. Like, uh, we, we were planned to record last week, and I had a good list uh, with already a bunch of honorable mentions. And then, you know, we postpone. We go through the weekend. I had a little time uh, Sunday afternoon. I'm watching some footage, and I'm like, man. And I know for a fact I'm still missing a few. You're going to bring up a couple that I'm like, oh, shit, you're right. And then I'm probably going to bring up a few that you didn't even think of either. So it's, you know, it's the same type of thing. Yep, and then uh, there's a listener list that I'll be digging up here in a second, uh, or not in a second, but you know, toward the end of the show as we normally do. Uh, me and Jordan, of course, we will go back and forth going from five to one. After that, we will get to yours and clean up hit with honorable mentions. Which we we're kind of joking, and you know, in, in retrospect, to what we're saying is that this is like more of an honorable mentions episode. Like the list is almost not important. You know, people get really hung up when whenever you do top five or top ten list. You know, I have a top 10 list thing that I was discussing with you coming out and it's real easy to get hung up you know on what the top 10 should be really it's, it's not about that it's more just it's more about paying homage to the subject and, and, and to the fighters that, that encapsulate it so we'll do our best here yeah absolutely and I, I think one thing is just like it's it's pretty amazing because the, for a long time, like there's still this air and it's probably a real thing too. It, I guess it depends who you're talking to, but you know, ring rust or the idea of octagon shock, you get in there for the first time and it's like a whole different stage. You fought on local shows, you fought in smaller promotions, and now you know you may be making your your debut on an undercard, so it's maybe it's not so different. But there's a couple of the ones that we're gonna men- mention that these guys are fighting not only on the main card, but their main eventing or co-main eventing in their first UFC uh, debut. And they put on hell. Some some people, some guys and gals are able to go out, whether they're the opener or the, the, the main event, put on crazy performances in their first first fight inside the, the UFC. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is one of like kind of what you're alluding to, not, 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 not to pinpoint it too much, but this is one of those things where it, you don't even have to pick a winner or a loser. That almost is insignificant. Um, and then even going further mm-hmm. than that, it doesn't have to be a, a fighter who had a career or is still around today. It could be the complete opposite. It could have been a one-hit totally. wonder. Like there's so many things that fit this criteria that yeah, totally. it just 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 kind of further it. So without uh, without without further wait, let let's let's just jump into it, man. Um, I will uh, usually I let the guests go first, but since we're you know you're, you're here all the time, you're just you're just family at this point. So I'm gonna go first if that's cool. And we'll just we'll just we'll switch up in way. Sounds good, man. Um, this one is, is, this one is, is one where, you know, I, I like to tie a lot of ones where I, I, I kind of was around or there's usually a lot of a personal tie to it. This one is one of those, um, you could classify it as hipster as people listen and know, know that dance number five pick is usually along the kind of hipster choice. But, but more importantly, this is a theme that I think will pop up again in my list and, and pop up, I imagine in your list is where regardless of how the ceiling or a legend or the guy became a champion or, or not, that when the debut performance encapsulates something about that fighter, whether who they are stylistically or just what you automatically think of when someone mentions their name, if that is achieved in their debut, I think that kind of speaks loudly and, and, and gives people a jump to get on our lists here. Um, safe to say, but this one was a fighter that, 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 that was of that time. This was at UFC 81. There was a popular debut, but I'm not going there. This was below a very popular debut that I'm not going to touch because it will come up later in someone's list, I'm sure. But this was Tim Bosch versus David Heath. And Tim Bosch took this fight on short notice. And, you know, you're like, oh, this guy looks like he took this fight on short notice, even though this was an uh, era of the UFC where guys could still look like that. But you were like, no, no, this guy, look, no, that was just how Tim Bosch looked. In fact, my buddy Steve Cruz, bass player to my band, shout out, who got me into the UFC and became, got me into a hardcore fan. I was doing what it was from the early days. He's guy got me in a hardcore fan. But 
he, we, you know, he, we would just crack up every time this guy would fight since this fight because we were like, Tim Bosch looks like the guy who weighs in uh, on the scale with a beer in his hand. Like, Eves Edwards yeah. with, with a burger. Right, right, Jordan? Right? Oh, like, well, I, what, what's, what's your, in fact, you are the best Tim Bosch. What's your Tim Bosch? I said Tim Bosch looks like he's always the guy who's yelling at his kids. Like, all the time. Like, you go to pick up your, like, like oh, hey, I got to go pick up my nephew from school. And you get there, and there's, like, one dad who's just screaming at his kids. And you're like, that's Tim Boach. That's and would you say sm- like. smells a little bit like alcohol, would you, would you like, say? Like, he probably had two or three beers, like, before yes. he picked them up. Yes. <laughs> they're just, they're, they're, they're road coolers, Jordan. They're road coolers. They're, uh, <laughs> he has names for it. Like, he's that guy. And he That's comes, absolutely. And he comes in, and I think, like, Rogan, even in the commentary, is like, Saying like you know because you know Rogan's thing like if a guy's muscly he's gonna gas and if a guy takes a fight on short notice which is true you know he's probably gonna gas but Rogan will ride those sure. those tropes and just kind of insert that narrative whether it's kind of happening I love Rogan but let's be, let's be honest yeah. that's one of his things and he was sure. like yeah we gotta watch the gas tank though we gotta watch the gas tank and the first round's coming to an end and he catches him with these front kicks to the stomach uh, Tim Bosch does to David Heath. And you see him really take the effect, you know, kind of like those Connor to Chad Mendez, and you kind of see a, a sub on a sub level the fight momentum sway. And next thing you know, it's just a, a, you know a, Tim Bosch is getting into his dirty boxing mode that he would become you know famous for later on in his career, and he just all of a sudden just up and just like throws David Heath headfirst into the corner of the cage like some UFC <laughs> early UFC you know ten eight shit. And, like, he, he actually, David, he actually kind of is, is concussed by it because he assumes turtle position like he's going to get up. And, it, it, and sadly, it, it, it buys him time with the referee to look like he's intelligently defend himself when he's not. And he's just, he's really just dazed looking at the floor, not even moving at all. And Tim Bosch just starts unloading uppercuts till the referee finally realizes that, oh, Heath never recovered from getting tossed on his head. I better stop this fight. Yeah. Jordan, you remember no, this that- one? Oh, dude, absolutely. I remember that fight because I knew nothing about Tim Boach going into that fight, as I think most people uh, were in the same boat. Nobody knew who Tim Boach was. But, uh, yeah, man, the that toss is still shown on, on highlight clips, and it's because he makes David Heath look like he has never fought a day in his life. Like he has no idea how to defend any sort of throw or trip of any kind. He just throw just that's like that's like dad strength, like man, just man strength. Like, like he probably he uh, he cultivated that by chopping wood and like carrying tires. And I know he's a wrestler and I know he's he's a he's a strong guy. But man, like the way he throws him down, it's it's very violent. And Since- a lot, in, in a violent sport, it's crazy when super violent things stand out. Well put. But tell me if this description is apropos, Jordan, to that, to that Tim Bosch throw. It looks like something that belongs in a crazy bar fight. But even if you saw it in the movie Roadhouse, you'd be like, whoa, that looked fake. Oh, absolutely. That's a really good app. Uh, that, yeah, that, that looks like a, a stunt that would make people go, whoa, but that would never happen in a real fight. And he just does it in the cage at his debut. <laughs> He's to a professional uh, to a professional fighter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yep. Yep. And the highlight reel, I like that you mentioned that, Jordan, because I'm sure that'll be a topic we revisit. That'll, that'll probably appear in, in one, if not both of our lists going forward. But what's your number five, man? That's a good one, man, because that was one that right off the bat I didn't even think of, and that's a, that's a great one. Uh, my number five, I don't know if this is chalk, but this is one that uh, I guess the ones that I had to boil down to my top five were ones that I initially thought of. Like uh, I just had to kind of order them, and then all the other ones I found, I, 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 I went back and forth, you know, does this make the cut? But what I decided to do was just go with my gut. These are the five that I came up with right off the top of my head. And so my number five is uh, back at uh, UFC 141. 
Big debut, huge debut. Uh, Alistair Overeem stops Brock nice. Lesnar with with what I like to call kicking him square in the diverticulitis. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and uh, yes, it, it, it was it was a huge fight. Lesnar's coming back off that loss to Kane, and it's like you know he's improved. Uh, I remember there was a lot there was a lot of talk going around that like Brock learned to take a punch, which is a weird thing to say. Like I don't know that you could ever learn to take a punch really, but like that that was always the thing on Lesnar. As soon as you hit him, he's gonna turtle. But uh, but the the big thing with this one was you know Lesnar's Lesnar's got some bigger training partners in he's actually getting into it he's getting the sparring and Overeem came out there looking like he just ate thirty five pounds of horse meat and kicked Lesnar as hard as he could right in the gut that he just had surgery for his diverticulitis on and that ended real quick and the ironic thing was speaking of guts is this would be the last fight you would see Overeem without a little bit of a gut if I'm not correct right because yep. Oh, he uh, was shredded. Yes. <laughs> and and after that coming over from dynamite. <laughs> oh yeah. And then after that it wasn't, you know, he has the long suspension and then what? It's only a year mm-hmm. after where, you know, again not throwing just just stating the history of the time on the sport. Yeah. USADA enters the sport. Anyways, you exactly. draw your own conclusions from there. But I love that pick, man. You know why? Because this was this well this was one that wasn't even I feel like a, an idiot for not having this on my list cuz not only is it deserved to be on a top 5, but you could argue it could be a number one if we were doing this list narrowed down to top five debuts that were anticipated. Because I, it's hard. I'm, you'll be hard pressed to find a, de- a more uh, anticipated debut than this one. Because because not only do you have the Alistair Overeem factor, who is at a career height at this point alone, mm-hmm. but the, of course the Brock Lesnar factor. I mean, this was you know one of the biggest heavyweight fights you know uh, before you know. Right, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, before the uh, Fox era, the 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 Kane versus you know Dos yeah. Santos trilogy, and then and then after right. that, it was even a lull to where you know, it was until Stipe and Ngannou earlier this year where they were saying, oh, finally heavyweights to be excited about. Like this was one of the top heavyweight fights of all time that that was uh, we were excited for as as far as UFC heavyweights go. Yeah, man, and Overeem was in the midst of just killing dudes overseas. I mean, he he had that knee on uh, uh, Fujita, which is still I can't I don't like watching the clip because yeah. the sound that it makes when he cracks that dude's face with his knee is gross. Uh, and then he goes and just starches Brett Rogers, uh, absolutely murders Todd Duffy, and then beats oh, yeah. Fabricio. Then beats Fabricio Verdum in, a, in an albeit pretty boring fight uh, in Strike Force, and then you know uh, Ver, uh, Overeem's on this huge winning streak. He looks like an absolute tank. He's shredded, carved out of marble. He's got probably the best kickboxing pedigree ever of any heavyweight that's ever fought in the UFC. And now he's coming over and he's going to fight Brock Lesnar, the biggest draw in the sport, a guy who won the heavyweight title kind of unexpectedly. And yeah, he's coming off a loss to Cain Velasquez, but he's still Brock Lesnar. He's huge. And, uh, and, uh, Overeem, although he took a while to fight again after this one, he really didn't disappoint. Cause I think this fight only lasted, uh, like a minute or sorry, two minutes and 26 seconds before he, uh, and it was really that first, it was like a knee, he threw a knee in the clinch, and Lesnar kind of started backing up, and that was like the worst thing he could have done because he gave Overeem space and put himself against the cage and then caught a square kick right to the top, man, and he crumpled. <laughs> was there any other way, like, especially that at that, like, you were almost cringing at that point of Overeem, too, for people that weren't around. Like, you were, you, not only was that as, as, as cringy as, as, as Jordan said, uh, cringy is in a damaging way. But you were almost embracing it because if you were following Overeem at this time and seeing what he was doing, like, again, 
kind of playing back into the anticipation thing. Like this was, and it's hard for me to explain it through a microphone unless you were a fan and following the sport at this time. But but I completely co-sign with what you just said. Yeah, man, it was crazy. It was it was absolutely insane, and uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that I brought it up because you didn't even think of it. So, what's your next pick, dude? Dude, yeah, yeah, I feel bad not not thinking of that one. This, uh, no right. worries. There's so many. This next one is kind of fits along the lines of kind of who it establishes. They they enter and establish as who you are, but it wasn't an anticipated one because neither of these guys were big names. Um, this was at UFC 102. Uh, this was uh, Couture. It was headlined by Couture versus Nogueira in Portland, which was a great card, by the way. A really underrated card. Mm-hmm. Probably like one of the the really last really good Randy Couture performances, in my opinion. Even though he would uh, lose a decision, it was a really good fight, a competitive fight. And there was a bunch of really fun fights on that undercard. Jared Rochalt versus Chris Lieben. Mm. Um, but uh, but 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 a debut that happened. It was just you know. And not only just like establishes who this guy is, but this could be a theme in Jordan's list, and I believe this will maybe a theme even in my list that comes at least in the honorable mentions, if not, where it establishes a new trend, whether it's in the sport or in the weight class itself. Like they they, they bring something extra, not just himself, but they almost bring a wave of things to come. And this was Todd Duffy versus Rest in Peace, the late great Tim Haig. Um, I felt bad putting it on the list for that, but at the same time, I'm like you know, no, no, it gives an excuse to honor and talk about Tim Haig. Uh, which yeah. is deserve it, and this was this was no shame here uh, with 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 bringing this up, but it was a fight where this was the era of the heavyweight where we were starting to see that it wasn't necessarily the biggest guy, and we were in the midst. I mean, this was UFC 100. Frank Mir was bulking right. up like crazy to fight Brock Lesnar. We had Shane Carwin on the come up, right? I mean, this was the age where we were thought to be in the bigger, musclier guys, and. Yeah. Todd Duffy was a hybrid because he looked like the bigger, musclier guy, but he was also weighing lower and super athletic like a cane. But, you know, he was like in the 240 to 250 range. Right. So he, and he was a young guy, an unknown, and he just looks like a G.I. Joe action figure because his, his last fight before this was in Jungle Fight. I mean, no one knew anything or saw anything about this guy, right? Right. He was a college athlete just fighting in his spare time. And he comes out just chiseled. And not only that, he's actually looking the part. He gets out mm-hmm. there, he's moving like a boxer, and just ices Tim Haig. And the one was at the time, I believe, even though there was the controversy with the timekeeper for Dwayne Ludwig's knockout, I believe they constituted this as the fastest knockout. I mean, so mm-hmm. he looks the part, delivers right away in record time. I mean, the full package is just so much hype was placed on Todd Duffy at this time. And we can go into to later what happened with Mike Russo and his career after that and, and all those things, which almost kind of make it even more unique that, again, didn't matter where the guy ended up or where he is now or any of this stuff. Um, you know, the sh- shouts to Todd Duffy, though, uh, always been nice. Uh, you know, always been nice to me. Uh, I hope he's doing doing well, whatever he's doing right now. But uh, but man, this was a debut that 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 just always stuck in my head. It stuck in my head from the minute he walked on. And George Jordan, does this one ring it all with you? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's uh, it was in my honorable mentions. I thought about it. It was one of the first ones I thought about as well. Um, had a hard time not putting on my list, but it's it's a great pick. I think the crazy thing with that one is people always, whenever you see a seven second knockout, I think a lot of people must assume uh, that there was just a huge, powerful punch. But Duffy hit him with a jab. Yes, yes. It, yeah. it was a jab, man. Yeah. And it was just because he was so quick and he used Hegg's forward momentum. He just came in and popped him with a stiff jab and planted him, man. You don't see that very often. And I'm not saying Duffy doesn't hit hard. Obviously, he's a he's a big athletic heavyweight. He hits really hard. But but that wasn't like a huge overhand right that just connected. Or, or you know, it wasn't like 
a, a, a counter in the middle of a flurry, man. He just stepped in to a stiff jab and put him down. I assume that somewhere Boss Rutten almost came in his pants when he watched that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up, too. And, uh, and it was <laughs> great. And I think it was – I think it was – you know what was funny? I think they might have said it in the intro. But I remember they made it a point to say, like, like after it happened, that Tim Haig was like a kindergarten teacher. I'm like, come on, don't. I appreciate oh, that, I and I'm that. not going to hold it up. But I was just like, come on, don't bring that up now. This is. But but yeah, if you, as far as Todd Duffy goes, you come out there, you set a record, and even though you didn't end up, you know, taking the flag to the championship, you represented a flag, um, and 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 a, and, a, and a real foreshadowing that was happening in that division. And maybe it has a tooth, you know, you know, my personal biases here and the time I was watching, sure. But I couldn't deny this one a spot in my list, so it comes in at number four. But Jordan, what is what is your number four, sir? No, that's a good one. And just to touch on it real quick before we move forward, yeah, I think Duffy's yeah. Duffy's also a guy that I think he's a huge what if, man, because that guy he missed a lot of time due to injury. Uh, and, and he, I mean, he fought against Tim Pegg. He, he lost to Mike Russo. And then I don't remember if it was injury or what it was, but he, uh, he lost to Russo, lost to Overeem. Yeah. And then he, or he, he went off overseas and fought Overeem. Uh, and, and then he didn't fight again for a couple years. And it's just, it's been, uh, obviously made his way back to the UFC. got a couple wins, got beat by Mir, but he's a, it, it's a weird career. That's a really weird career. And I agree. Duffy's always been a nice guy every time I've talked to him. Uh, but you know, I, I, I don't know, uh, a very strange career, and I think if if some of those injuries that he had wouldn't have sidelined him for for lengths of time, we might be still talking about Todd Duffy as a as you know a guy who maybe made it to a title fight or got into that top five. Who knows? Yeah, definitely. By the way, it was a uh, it was nerve damage. I don't know what the disease okay. was or the extent, but it was a nerve issue. That was with the the, the from the Russo Overeem after that. And as yeah. far as what's currently keeping out, because I hear him talk about a lot. Excuse me. Um, and again, I'm not trying to do a name drop thing here or anything, uh, uh, or anything like that. Uh, obviously not that I have to explain to you, Jordan, who you interview and talk to actually more professional fighters than I've ever had, to be honest. But, uh, but, but Todd Duffy, you know, for those who know is, is, is a guy who I do know personally, I've had, had conversations with, I do know kind of things that I'm keeping out. It's not my place to speak on, um, until I, sure. until I see him speak on it. So I, I'm not going to, but, uh. I will say that it's a it's a it's a topic that hits close to home to Dan Tom, and I think that is a hard enough hint for those people sure. who know me and can kind of yeah. do the math there on what that is. So uh, I, all I all I do say is, is is temper any kind of uh, criticism to why he's coming back. Sure, but uh, I do I do uh, hope he's well and do wish him to come back on his terms if he's healthy and if he wants to, of course. But but yeah, we're, we're wishing him well, whatever whatever he's doing now. Yeah, man, if he's fit to fight, I think he'll always have a group of people that want to watch him fight. So, um, yeah, so my number four pick is one that I bet it's probably something you thought about or put on your list. I think probably it's on a lot of viewers or listeners lists, too. Um, it's one that I just couldn't ignore because it's it was the original, like, um, I don't want to say passing of the torch, but it was the first time I ever thought, like, holy shit, un- like, upsets can happen in this sport. And this was, I, I didn't even watch this live cause I was a, I was a kid when this happened, but I remember hearing about it. And I was following the sport enough cause my brothers watched it that I kind of heard rumors of it. And then obviously I've gone back and knowing the context makes it a little more uh, important, but it was back at UFC 63. Uh, Joe Lozon knocks out Jens Pulver uh, in like 48 seconds in the first round. And honestly, this fight, it seemed like they, it was kind of a squash match. Jens was coming back to the UFC. This was a big fight. He was going to make his statement, go out, beat up this kid from Boston. And then, you know, you put him in a, uh, cause I, that was kind of a weird time for the UFC lightweight division. As you know, their favorite, favorite division. 
they, they were trying to figure out the title situation, and they had some guys in contract negotiations. But essentially, this was, w- without a title, this was kind of the interim before there was an interim title because Jens was thought to be one of the best lightweights in the world, uh, and they just kind of didn't have a, a championship uh, figured out for him. And Joe Lozon comes in and knocks him out in 48 seconds with a huge left hand. And that was the first time I can remember being like, holy shit, the favorite's not going to win every time. So, And obviously, Lozon's gone on to have... An, a, a Hall of Fame worthy career. Uh, he's a guy who's never in a boring fight. He's got tons of submissions, tons of KOs. Uh, but that that first one is one that I think like true hardcore fight fans are always going to remember and always love. Uh, UFC 63, Joe Lozon uh, with the upset of Jens Pulver. Whoa. Wow. Sorry about that uh, advertisement there. Unsolicited. Did that come through on your no, end? You kept- Buddy? Did that? No, come I didn't hear anything. Oh wow! Okay. Nope. Yeah, I, this this one I, amongst the many tabs that I have amongst my mad scientist screen, uh, one just <laughs> kind of went off. Well, I'm glad it didn't come through. But that is an amazing pick, and it's so amazing that I have to come clean. Um, that is actually crossover. So I'm, I'm going to double dive and jump in. This was actually my number two, but don't feel bad. I usually don't cheat, and I actually had a two way tie for my number one. So I'm going to go ahead and move one of those to my number two. But I got to come clean though with with the listeners, with you, and jump in with the year. This is a great pick. Um, I had this one, you know, it, I, you know, it was it was kind of strangely high, um, maybe to some. So this is this is a great spot that you have it on your list. But but yeah, it, this one always just rang true with me because it, it's so undeniable. I mean. How do you? This wasn't something that Joe Lozon was known for because he went on to be the bonus king, submissions, great fight, ex nay to to everything minus mm-hmm. the championship. This guy's accomplished under the sun. But how do you not put oh, him absolutely. on the list when you go out and you beat a lightweight legend, a guy who has not been back since to the sport since he he uh, you know since he 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 lost to you know oh well B J Penn the guy he you know uh beat and you know uh, you know again no 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 shame there i mean jens pulver was still highly regarded as he should have been at this time for people that weren't watching the sport in fact like mm-hmm. joe lozon uh, if you if you if you go back and watch the post fight interview a young joe rogan is or younger joe rogan as younger joe lozon they're all younger back then god the time's mm-hmm. fucking escaping on us but he's even like doing his own uh you know uh what do you call it? you know li- lineal title math uh, oh, yeah, in yeah, the post fight exactly. interview, and he's calling like Joe Lozon. You're kind of like the lightweight champion, bro. And even Joe Lozon, this is why Joe Lozon's so awesome. Even this at this time, he's so humble. He's like, well, let's not go that far. It was a great win, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and he 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 miles it down. And for people that don't know, Joe Lozon was doing like a nine to five, forty hours a week tech job in an office, and we had to go back to work that Monday. He's back in a cubicle yeah. after beating Jens fucking Pulver in his yeah, UFC yeah. debut. Like, that's insane. And then, oh, and it's not a, you know, maybe it's a fluke. He's a nerdy looking kid who, by the way, I think that was like one of his first knockout victories. He doesn't have very yeah. many of those. Oh, so easy to point that as a fluke. Uh, no. He's still one of the top earners and the backbone of that division and that company, you know, the middle class fighters and one of the top bonus earners of all time. Like, insane. Yeah, absolutely. And dude, no shame in having that as high as number two, or I wouldn't even qualm with that being number one. But I think I, I think kind of what you said earlier rings true. I think any of these could be anywhere. I th- I yeah, think somebody yeah. – one, one of our honorable mentions, you could make a case for being number one. Like oh, there, totally. there's no – 
yeah, no, 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 uh, no worries having that that high. But I'm glad. And you know what? I, I, I don't think it's going to be the last time. I think we probably have at least one, maybe two more crossovers. A hundred percent. And that was one of the reasons why I felt not guilty putting a number one next to two of the options. Yeah. Uh, something I don't do that often. But, uh, but yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I'll uh, let, let's go ahead and knock out number three. Because yeah. I know the honorable mentions are going to take a while, and that, that way we'll just do two and one after the break. But uh, and, and then we'll have you lead off when we come back from the break. So in other words, I'll, I'll just I'll lead off one more time here for number three. Uh, this one I felt now that I feel bad putting on, but because it's deserved to, to be on here, and this this could be another crossover one, Jordan. So please stop me and, and double dive if, if you like, sir. But uh, this is one I, I I guess I feel bad because I brought it up many times, not so much for a debut. But I always bring this up for my classic example, and Jordan, I believe you've shared yours, and you can you can refresh me here in a second. But we all have that example. If you watch enough UFC pay per views, where the UFC pay per view cuts out right when a knockout happens, <laughs> and this was this is the, the, the people the hardcore listeners know where I'm going. I with already this. know which one. Yep, is. yeah, 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 yep, yep. And this is this is Jordan. Do you want? Uh, I'll put you on the spot, but I'm confident in you right now. Is it the uh, UFC 90? Yes. Yep. Junior Dos Santos and uh, Fabricio Verdum. Yes, is this on your list, sir? It's my number two, man. Yeah. Holy shit! You, we just we just <laughs> took each other's number two. That's how that's how on point we are with each other. It's fine. I will. Uh, I'll talk about this one and then I'll switch my number three to my number two because I have no problem with that at all. But go ahead, talk about it. Okay. Well, I'll set it up and I'll and I'll, and I'll let you serve. But essentially, uh, Fabricio Verdum was in, you know was in the was in the UFC here and he was kind of facing. I kind of compare it to Andre Orlovsky where. You have a more than credentialed heavyweight, but for whatever reason, you have to think there were some negotiating things going on behind the scenes because they weren't giving him the best card placements, the best matchups, and even when they were performing, they weren't necessarily rewarded. And Fabricio Verdun was was at this time deserved to be a heavyweight contender, and people were like, who are they giving him this Junior Dos Santos guy on this UFC Chicago card? Um, sure, it's a main card spot at least because you know he kind of got a weird prelim treatment, which was even weirder back then. Now we'll see, you know, uh, guys like BJ Penn on the prelims and really random stuff and just this crazy era we're in. But back then it was weird to see an Orlovsky or a Verdum even maybe even on, on an undercard in an important fight. And I, I believe it was a you know one of the fir- the first fight of the main card, if or just on the main card. But uh, but yeah, it was a, one of those everything to lose kind of moments. And you were like, this, who's this Dos Santos guy? Ooh, ooh that Ed Soros guy is, is hanging out with them. That guy we all see with Anderson Silva. Maybe this Dos Santos guy is somebody important. The fight starts, and my cable cuts out. And when it comes on, the fight is over. And we have Junior Dos Santos, who would later become, as you know, a UFC heavyweight champion. And I was just trying to figure out what the fuck happened to my guy, Fabrizio Verdum. Jordan, can you pick up the pieces from there, sir? Dude, so, all right, yeah, this happened in what I would call my MMA golden age because it was right when I I was in college. um, I was, like, 19 years old, and, like, I had nothing to do but drink beer and watch MMA, like, in the evenings or on the weekends. It was, like, my favorite thing. So I'm going to admit it. I didn't like Verdum very much because I was a big Brandon Vera fan and he oh, had just yes. he had just starched Vera in the last fight at like UFC 85 in London right, I remember right. and I was pissed and I you know I'm 18 or 19 and I'm like fuck this guy fucking <laughs> piece of shit 
And so the so we're we're at Buffalo Wild Wings watching watching the fights and me and a group of my buddies and uh everyone's like, Oh, Verdum, he's pretty good. I remember he won his last fight because we, we all watched the cards together. And I'm like, fuck that, I'm going for Dos Santos. I like this guy. I hope he knocks his ass out. <laughs> and fight starts, fight starts, they're circling, nothing's happening, and everyone's people if if you've ever watched a, a pay-per-view or a fight in, in any kind of crowded area, you'll know this sound. Nothing's happening, guys are circling, feeling each other out, and then one drunk dickhead's like Boo! Do something! Everyone starts booing this fight, right? And Verdum uh, finally decides to close the distance. He comes in, and he looks like he's going to shoot. And as soon as he goes down, JDS throws the fucking biggest uppercut I've ever seen and knocks Verdum cold with that uppercut. And, uh, you know, it didn't even need to follow up because he was out. The ref jumps in. The fight's over. Everyone's going crazy. I'm, like, losing my shit because I, I didn't like Verdum at the time. And I was like, yeah, fuck you, Verdum. JDS is my shit. And actually, that launched me into being a huge Junior Dos Santos fan. But, uh, me too, uh, the, me too. I, the best part of it is the commentary during the replay. Joe Rogan's losing his mind. That's yes. why Joe Rogan's the best. Yeah. And he goes, oh, my God, Mike, look at it. He made his ears wiggle. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. I was, was going to say this was like the first that made it that made it even better. The fact that I missed the knockout and the fact that you know my first time viewing it was live yet through a replay was that great moment in the commentary. And yeah, because not only as, as shitty as it is to be like, oh, you witnessed the, the amazing knockout for the first time in replay, but at the same time, it was kind of cool when you think about it because. That's one of the, the you know the, the easily not just top five I would dare say top three re, uh, knockout replays where you can actually see a reverberation of force yeah. through someone's body through their because it goes through his cheeks before it hits his ears like you see it reverberate almost through his whole body so like to see a knockout an epic knockout live get through a replay for the first time and you just see that version of it it was insanity we we're just like what the fuck did we just miss. <laughs> and they're losing their Dude, mind on the commentary. It's yeah, you're no, you're right. It's insane. That was that in that I don't want to say it was at the advent of slow-mo or anything, but it was yeah. that was one of the first times where I was like, "Dude, this this like it, you slow it down and yeah, you could see it. His whole face crumpled in and the shockwave went up his cheeks. His ears flopped around and uh, it was just it was perfect timing. You knew that Dos Santos could throw a haymaker like no other and uh man, it was just uh it, it, it was it was a great moment in an otherwise boring card. I don't know if you remember yeah. the rest of that card, but it was like Shirk and Griffin fought and it was like meh. There were a couple other ones and then the 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 headliner of that card was yeah. Anderson Silva and, right. and Patrick Cote. Right. And that was an yep. awful fight. Yeah. And then Cote blew his knee that was out. A bummer. It, it was just yeah. a terrible card. So anticlimactic. Saved, yeah, saved by Dos Santos sending uh sending Verdum into the Shadow Realm. Yeah, he ironically became the, the the star of that card. On a, I think even that that even had a Tiago Alves fight that went to a decision, maybe with Josh Koscheck and memory serves. But, yeah, but, but yep. b- before we before we go to your number three, uh, speaking of, you just said something. Uh, shit, what, what what did you just say? You were, you were saying, goddamn, anticlimactic. What was it? No, yeah, the card was pretty anticlimactic. Other other than than him. Oh, oh no no the advent advent of slow mo uh no no no, oh, yeah. no the advent advent of slow mo in HD that's what's where that's where I don't I don't know if I discussed it with you but I've discussed it on this podcast where 
I remember that card clearly because I I, did, I have a funny story with that where I, I was trying to tell my friends like, no, this guy BJ Penn's coming back. It's it's awesome. Come watch. He's fighting this guy Roy McDonald. The first time they had these HD oh, camera no. hookups, and I just remember like it was the first time you had those slow mo in HD, and you just see, speaking of reverberation, that could be at the top five list too of the of that oh, replay shit. of seeing, and it wasn't even a knockout, but just the, the replay of Roy McDonald just teeing off on BJ, and then seeing friends who know nothing about the sport looking at me like I'm crazy, slowly turning to them, move where they slowly turn their head going this is the guy that was good <laughs> why are you making me watch this old <laughs> man get beat up <laughs> i mean while I'm, I'm like wiping the tears from my face from the last three rounds that just transpired i'm like yeah that's him <laughs> he's, always, he's always got a chance oh <laughs> uh, anyways yeah. jordan yeah what was your number three sir sorry for taking uh, you your number know, two no 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 i'll just i'll just say that honestly i am the top few here i had such a hard time placing so uh, just in sense of flow, I'll just say that that was my number three too. We'll just talk about that, and then when we come back, I'll I'll just switch my three and two if that's okay with you. I like that. On that beat, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna break down the rest of our top five UFC debuts right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. While my dog kisses me, we'll be right back. And we're back right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the top five UFC debuts with Jordan Killian and Jordan. I believe it's your turn, sir, for we are on number two for our top five UFC debuts. We're on number two. So I, I'm switching. Originally, my number two was Dos Santos uh, at UFC 90, but I'll, I'll slot that in my number three and uh, because I had a hard time placing these top three anyways. So my number two is going to be my hipster pick, Dan. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's so hipster that I wasn't even watching the sport when this one happened. This is an old one. Uh, my hipster pick number two happened at UFC 29 and it was a rematch between a guy who would become the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest fighters in UFC history and the guy that beat him for the second time in a row in under a minute. And that is Dennis Superman Hallman submitting Matt, Matt Hughes a second time in his UFC debut in 20 seconds. So, a little backstory for you guys yes. who may not be historians of the sport. Uh, Matt Hughes, you guys know who Matt Hughes is. Matt Hughes, UFC Hall of Famer. Uh, he, his, the only loss on this dude's record early in his career was a 17-second uh, standing guillotine technical submission loss to Dennis Hallman in October of 1998. No one saw this fight. It was, on, it was in Wisconsin on a you know, local show that was not televised, no, no radio. No one knew about it. He loses to Dennis Hallman, a relative unknown guy. And at that point, Matt Hughes was probably pretty unknown as well. Matt Hughes goes on to win 18 fights in a row. He then is fighting in his third or fourth UFC fight, and he gets matched up with Dennis Hallman again. Hey, you know what? It was a fluke. I went for a takedown. Hallman got me in a choke. It is what it is. Uh, UFC 29 in Tokyo, Japan. The rematch happens. Dennis Hallman submits Matt Hughes with an arm bar in 20 seconds. 
This was December of 2000. So, for those of you keeping track, that's Dennis Holman 2-0 and over Matt Hughes with two submissions in 37 seconds. So, my number two is Dennis Holman, uh, his UFC, UFC 29 debut with a 20-second submission over one of the greatest, the guy who would go on to be one of the greatest of all time in Matt Hughes. And Dennis Holman, you guys probably know him. He fought for a long time afterwards, has a ton of fights. Never really got to uh, to you know superstar level. Never really got towards any major belts. Uh, but you know, no one can ever take that away from him. two wins over Matt Hughes, a UFC debut, twenty second sub. Yeah, one of the best examples where you say Styles make fights, or some guys are just some guys kryptonite. Yep. Uh, look no further than a better example than Dennis Holman versus Matt Hughes. An excellent pick, a well-deserved pick, a pick that was very comparable, in my opinion, to the Joe Lozon versus Jens Pulver pick in theme, when you think about it, and ironically relates to the Jens Pulver because for people that may not be familiar, the roots of these kind of history for for this this matchup and this kind of intersection of time in particular crosses over so much cool shit, it's not even funny. Because not only for the things that Jordan mentioned, the historical value, uh, the repeat uh, fights over two different organizations... But, you know, just four UFCs later, after defeating Matt Hughes, Holman would go down a lightweight, face Jens Pulver for what was the first official lightweight title fight, since Jens Pulver was officially considered a bantamweight, uh, fighting Kyle Uno to win his title. Um, And it was crazy because the history of these corners, uh, Dennis Holman, for people who don't know, was was, was one of the first guys uh, cornered by Matt Hume, who was only recently making the transition from fighter to coach. And... What Pulver and Matt Hughes, of course, shared in common was they were both coached by another guy who was just making his transition from fighter to coach, Pat Militich. And Pat Militich shared a history with Matt Hume, who he was admittedly schooled by in a really epic right. fight outside the U. So again, the, the history and crossover was just so cool. And the layers of competition that were attached to these fights, that even if you weren't around at the time, like me and Jordan, even we weren't around you know, watching at this time, it's hard not to appreciate when you, you really consider, you know, all these factors at play. Great, great pick, Jordan. It is. And uh, my favorite my favorite anecdote about these two guys is they're involved in the triangle that will always yes. uh, take down the MMA math mm-hmm. theory, which is uh, Dennis Hallman beat Matt, Matt Hughes twice. Matt Hughes beat Frank Trigg twice. Frank Trigg beat Dennis Hallman twice. So... How the MMA math, sometimes you can make it work, I guess, if you stretch, but I think that's the one that always comes back, and it's like, you know what, styles make fights, and uh, it depends on who's the better fighter that day, because you can't just say so-and-so beat so-and-so, so therefore he'll beat him, because look at look at the Trigg, Hallman, uh, Hughes, little triangle there, and it'll it'll make your brain hurt if you try to figure out who was better. Yeah, another like staple example, per- per- perfect, perfect. All right, uh, my number... I guess we'll go with my number two. My number two, actually, I thought you were going to go with because you essentially could have just taken the example that Jordan just stated, the, the setup there that he gave for his number two, and, and put it for mine, which is uh, it happened It happened earlier. It actually happened 20 UFCs earlier, but it still fits the example where this was an early one. But it's also, you know, you could also consider it chalk. You consider it classic. You consider it many things. But this happened at UFC 8. There were actually a couple um, honorable mentions, or maybe maybe two, I want to say, that happened at UFC 8 in particular. But this was one where, again, it defines a fighter when you think about him. It exists on a highlight reel that kind of holds its permanent place. And that was Gary Goodrich against Paul Herrera. And Gary Goodrich, we know as, as the... the, the 
the giant muscly force, you know, Canadian black man that, you know, just, just, just if you don't, if you're painting, for just painting like a brute picture for people that don't know. And he wore a karate gi. And if you ever see someone doing like a reverse crucifix doing these brutal elbows, yeah, that was Gary Goodrich. Uh, and it was funny because I believe it was a cool Jules Sundo or some weird name. But I believe it wasn't – I don't even know what the history of the martial art was. But he was essentially sponsored uh, and given money to wear that gi and this and that because this was a, this was a different right. age. You can almost consider Gary Goodrich ahead of the sponsorship age for kind of capitalizing on a bonus for, hey, I'm going to risk my life in this weird no-hold-barred fighting shit that's not really uh, legal. And the people are coming down on him. I might as make some money on this. But he was actually a, a Canadian boxer, kickboxer and um, – and yeah, he, he the fight. Well, I forget it only lasts like maybe under a minute. <laughs> I mean, under five like, seconds. It was seconds. like it was like ten or fifteen seconds. It was, it was, yeah, it was really ridiculous. Fast. I think he almost just dives in Paul Herrera and almost puts himself in that reverse crucifix spot and uh, starts hitting immediately those reverse elbows. And it was just something that was going to be burned in our heads. It was something that one of those classic chalk picks that. It immediately popped into my head. It's burned in my head when we talk about Gary Goodrich, and I couldn't avoid putting it on this list. So, so here it is, Gary Goodrich. Yeah, no, no shame in that at all. That's a great pick. It's on my honorable mentions. Uh, it's it's one of those ones that that particular one. And the, the other thing about that that you didn't mention, Dan, is that. His debut was technically all in one night. He fought yes, Paul Herrera, yes. he fought Jerry Bolander, yep. and then he he got beat by Don Fry, I think, in the yep. uh, the final. Because uh, so, that was back when, obviously, they did a tournament, a one-night tournament. So uh, I remember, though, the first time I ever saw that, my brothers had rented a VHS copy of, like, UFC Ultimate Fighting Championship Greatest Knockouts or something like that from, like, the local rental place, like the Blockbuster or whatever. And I remember that was, like, one of the ones on it. And I was like, holy shit! Like, I didn't know you could do that. Because that was, like, in 1996. So I was, like, eight. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. February 16th, 1996. And yeah, 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 it it was one of three fights. And that was kind of the funny thing about, like, researching a lot of these fights. And you nailed the other one I was alluding to, Jordan, which was Don Fry. Except his wasn't as impressive. It was a guy that was like clearly shouldn't have been in there with him. Um, right. The Don Fry's debut, by the way, <laughs> here's Don Fry's debut. Same night, it was against a guy named Thomas Ramirez. <laughs> Don Fry's discipline was credited as wrestling. Not a surprise, right, Jordan? Do you know what Thomas Ramirez's nope. discipline was, Jordan? Here's, here's trivia for anybody. What was that? And not only is this trivia for for what Thomas Ramirez was, but I challenge anybody to find a more entertaining discipline than this: survival. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. Just survival. That was his discipline. Was survival, and he, he was finished like a, within a couple minutes. <laughs> he was like watch. a swamp person. Yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, he he wore. His name was Ramirez. He wore Muay Thai shirt shorts, and his experience was in Israeli karate. So you do that math of four fucking completely different fucking cultures. But yeah, that was um, as, as, as funny as that was. It, it wasn't. Um, a debut list worthy, but that was, that was kind of the tricky one when looking at these older fighters, right, Jordan? Because you had you really have to look at their they're, they're technically their first fights, right? That that, that if they uh, were to make the list, yeah, yeah, that was all these guys' first fight. Is that like UFC? All, all those early UFCs were these guys' first pro fights because it was the first thing of its kind. They had, but they might have had you know wrestling matches or they might have had boxing matches or kickboxing tournaments or karate tournaments or whatever it was. But you know they they hadn't had actual MMA fights. These were the first mixed martial arts fights. So yeah, it, it is crazy and how many of the guys uh, i did not know about the survival thing that's crazy but i mean 
you know, you used to get uh, submission wins all the time due to exhaustion or like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just he just his girth was too much on top of the man, and like they had to stop the fight. So, or what? What do they, what do they <laughs> used to like? Do they used to like it felt like they used to pad the intros too because everybody was like a two hundred and fifty on Street Fighter, no matter what they were. They were exactly. also like it was just like, well, okay, what do you guys? Do? I think there was a lot of a lot of padding from the production there going on. Yeah, as well, no, absolutely, you got to scare the people into it. But that's a good pick, man. It's it's uh it's a foundation building block pick. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow, it is number one time already. Uh, Jordan, with that, with, with I don't have a, a drum roll sound effect, but uh, we'll go ahead and cue that, sir. What is your number one UFC debut? Um, this one, I feel like this is chalk, but I feel like you, uh, for me, I couldn't pick anything but this one. And it may be your, we may have crossover here. I don't know, um, but or this may be on your uh, your honorable mentions. My my number one is one that could also fall in that uh, anticipated category um, with a guy coming over who obviously had a huge uh, career before this, but it was 2006. It was the first I had heard of him. I, I, I had, I hadn't heard anything except for what Rogan was talking about. You know, this guy is an absolute monster. You, you wait to see him. And that's Anderson Silva's debut against Chris Lieben uh, at UFC fight night five back in 2006. It was a middleweight title eliminator in his first fight. And he, I don't think Chris Lieben landed a punch. Uh, I think Anderson Silva landed about 49. And uh, it, it was one of those moments that was kind of jaw-dropping because I think the UFC, at least by a lot of people, including myself at that point, because it was still in its infancy, 2006, you know, we were still trying to learn what this sport actually is. And Chris Lieben is a guy who is notoriously tough granite chin he's a brawler he uh you know he's got skills don't uh, that's not what i'm saying but he's he's tough that's like his thing like chris lieben is gritty and tough and he'll you gotta you gotta put that guy away because he's gonna keep coming at you and that was kind of the mo for most of the guys in the ufc at that time i think you had a couple technical wizards but they were typically guys who were really good on the ground as the striking was pretty rudimentary uh and then Anderson Silva came in and it looked like Muhammad Ali was fighting a bum. And I, I don't mean that disrespectfully to Chris Levin, but it was just it was it was crazy to see a guy who had that footwork who could stay outside. Levin is winging punches, walking forward, taking three strike combos and then falling down and then getting back up and then taking another four shots and then going down again. And finally, they stopped it. That fight felt like it went on about three minutes but I looked it up. I when when I thought about this, I was like, I think that was like midway through the first round. And I looked it up, and that fight was finished in forty nine seconds. This is <laughs> why Jordan is always on the show. This is why I love Jordan. This is why I always allude to us being alike. And this is why this is also my number one pick because when Jordan first reminded me again of this topic, this was the first fight that popped into my head. And because Dan is a contrarian, and because this was the first fight that popped in my head, I said, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure this fight doesn't end up on my fucking list. And at the end of all this, and all this talk about adding new stuff and constantly fighting rifling through the list, this ended up as my tie for number one. And through, of course, as you guys have just witnessed, me and Jordan both having to adjust our lists, serendipitous, if, if I must say so. This is also my number one. For everything that Jordan said, and again, as listeners of this show who are getting to know me know that Dan Tom was aware of mixed martial arts and involved martial arts well before 2006, but it wasn't until 2006 where I started becoming a fan where I actually knew who guys were. Yeah. Um, 
excuse me, and Anderson Silva was one of those guys. The ironic part was not not only was this one of the first fights that I remember seeing, which is why I actually had kind of some contacts knowing who Anderson Silva was when he went to fight Rich Franklin for that title fight. I remember watching that pay-per-view live as well. But it was funny because I watched this fight and all of Anderson Silva's first fights live. And so I was lucky enough to be a part of that wave. So I was like, Jordan, I didn't, I remember Rogan talking about him as well, but I'll be honest, like I was still playing catch up. Like uh, I was still going back and watching the old UFCs, watching the pride fights I missed because pride was on its way out at this time um, in the time, in the, in the time spectrum. Um, so I was kind of in that phase myself, but, but yeah, I, I watched Anderson Silva and the ironic part was at, at this time, it sounds crazy now, but, but I'm sure Jordan, you can relate where I didn't. It was, it was amazing. It was special when I was watching it. So I don't mean to say that it wasn't special. But we didn't get the context that it was special. Like, no. We didn't understand that this guy was going to be something. We were just like, who is this guy in the Bumblebee shorts who doesn't speak English who's doing fun stuff? Like it sounds yeah. ignorant, but that was essentially that was most American. Whether you're an educated martial arts fan or a casual UFC fan or whatever, you were like, who the fuck is this guy? Which is a good thing. Right. It sounds ignorant, but it's a good thing. He was capturing the imagination slowly. But we didn't, we didn't think it was going to be a big thing, Jordan. But no. this, this, was, this, was, this was the iceberg. When you look back, when you retrace the amazing career that's now a legacy, when you retrace it, it comes back to this moment. Yeah, man, and it, it changed the perception of what a, what a UFC fighter was because you, di- you, you didn't think about the the thug. And, you know, I'm not saying that these other guys were thugs, but I think the, the general perception, and it even persisted a while after it, was the dude wearing the tap-out shirt with the tattoos of the barbed wire going up his neck and going out there and saying, come at me, bro, and just standing in the middle and trading. And that's what a lot of it was, and, and that that is – it's uh, it's almost gone now out of the sport yeah, now it's yeah. it's way more it's way more refined but yeah. at the time the, it, it was it was a what the fuck is this dude doing because he's he's backing up and he's still hitting you and he's not getting hit at all and he's throwing front kicks and he's kneeing you in the face while you're standing i had never i had never seen a muay thai fight before i, I you know i was it, it was 2006 i i knew of boxing i had watched some kickboxing i had watched obviously some mma uh no one was really using that muay thai clinch in mma at that point and Anderson Silva was just grabbing dudes heads and kneeing their faces off and obviously he went on to do it to Rich Franklin on a much bigger stage you know yes. winning the title but he he ended that that Chris Lieben fight with a knee to the face and that's that's what actually finished him off after punching him a thousand times yeah I'm glad but, you brought that up too by the way yeah it, it was crazy it was just it was it was something new and obviously it was something that revolutionized the sport so I it had to be my number one yeah, and I Rogan Rawls, that's another one of those stereotypical like statistics that Rogan and then by nature, you amongst your friends would kind of Rogan mimic. We'd all Rogan parrot, it, especially at that point, right? We'd be like, oh, yeah, this guy fucking 100% accuracy, fucking <laughs> alone. Yeah. And like, yeah. we, it just became, this debut became a thing of legend. But, but, and then on a side note, another reason why it was so important for guys to be able to have uh, non Reebok options of, of being able to, to market themselves, because I remember. You know, uh, up until the Nate Marquardt fight, he was the guy in the sinister Bumblebee stuff that was just fucking dudes yep. up. Like that's how I knew. I didn't know him as Anderson Silva. I knew him as the guy in the sinister Bumblebee shit fucking people up. And even as a Dan Henderson fan, uh, I still remember, even though rooting for Dan Henderson, feeling like a hypocrite because I owned a, a nice sinister black and yellow hoodie that I, I really liked at the time that was real popular. But mm-hmm. yeah, man, Jordan, I'm I'm gonna start pulling up some listener lists. But uh, this is and while I do that, this is usually the time where the guests can kind of cheat ahead of the pack and list some honorable mentions that 
quite didn't make their list. You can kind of get get ahead of the pack here while, while I pull this up. Jordan, is there is there one, two, even three that come to the top of your head that were right there to make your list? Um, yeah, yeah. Hang on, my uh, my headphones kind of jacked up there for a second. Um, yeah, man, I have a ton of that didn't make the list. Uh, so obviously, I had a couple that you mentioned. Um, Gary Goodrich was on my on my honorable mentions. Todd Duffy was on my honorable mentions. Uh, just a couple other ones, real quick, and I'll I'll do a couple and then I'll let you get some listener ones in because I don't want to steal all their thunder. Um, uh, I had Charles Oliveira on there because his his looks better retros- retrospectively when you look back at it because his was at the UFC uh, the one of the Fight Night Lives I, I think it was a, a tough finale maybe he submitted Darren Elkins in like forty seconds and at the time it was like eh whatever this dude must be a good jujitsu guy but now Darren Elkins is like a top five dude and obviously he's gotten better uh, but that's a good win man Elkins is a really tough guy uh, and, and 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 Oliveira just carved him up like butter on the ground, man. So I think I'll, I think that's one that kind of gets overlooked a little bit. Charles Oliveira subbing Darren Elkins really fast at his debut. Um, that's one of mine. I'll do one more, and then I'll let you get to a, a list if you want. Uh, how about Cain Velasquez at, at UFC 83? He w- This was one oh, where yeah. the, the guy who was supposed to win definitely won. <laughs> they were they were setting Kane up. He was fighting a dude named Brad Morris. Kane, Kane had a lot of hype behind him, and that's one where I actually remember hearing the name Kane Velasquez before Kane actually fought. Because, wow. you know, this dude's... It, 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 and I, I don't think I heard it from, like, you know, friend group. I think I had heard them mention it maybe on a fight card before that, where they're like, oh man, I'm really looking... Because it was like, what's coming up in the UFC in the next month? And it was like, oh, I'm really looking forward to this Kane Velasquez kid. So anyways, Cain Velasquez, UFC 80, 83, just absolutely chainsaws uh, Brad Morris in like a couple minutes. And that was, Cain was like 2-0 and o at the time, so he was kind of bred for this, got brought into it. Um, but what what, uh, what do the listeners have? I've got some more too. No, two great ones, especially because they weren't on my list. Again, kind of something we forced, we both foreshadowed when we were talking mm-hmm. about how, how, how rich this topic is. It's not, it's not a knock on anybody. Like this, is, this is something we expected. Like that's how rich this topic is. Um, yeah. I'm going to jump to Twitter, and then um, before I jump to Facebook, I'll probably throw it back to you for whatever you had chambered next. But just to get to the Twitter uh, the, the Twitter peeps, uh, Drew Jitsu at Hip Hop Since 76, uh, loyal listener to the show, uh, he agreed with us. Joe Lozon when he knocked out Jens Pulver. Um, yeah. Mike Doonan at the, with three for E, Mictorious. Prote- hashtag thank you for using hashtag protect your neck podcast if you'd like to contribute anything to the show whether it's opinion or top five lists on twitter at the pym podcast which is also the handle for facebook and instagram he said dan henry versus david timor to they got into a fight mm. with three bones broken in his foot to get a unanimous decision i didn't know uh wow danny henry of three three broken bones in his foot that just kind of adds to the durable legend that is danny henry that he's 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 astuting himself with just two fights into the ufc <laughs> yeah Total badass. Um, yeah, yep, yep. And uh, we got uh, Andrew Millington, another listener to the show. Shout out at Andrew Millington. Um, five, Lando Venata. That's on my honorable mention. So so that was a, that's a great debut, even though it's a loss. I think that's like a top five if we're doing like debut losses. He'd be up there for top oh, five, for right? Sure. Uh, four, Todd yeah. Duffy. He agrees with me there. Three, Rich Franklin. Ooh, who, on top of your head, do you know who that was? Evan, Ev- Evan Tanner. He oh, beat Evan shit, Tanner. that's right. Day. Late yeah, grade, I remember another, that. Another RIP, late grade and yep. Evan Tanner. It's crazy. It's more of those RIPs. It felt like it was only like, I felt like it was like Evan Tanner and like, uh, uh, like another, one other guy was it JL, Justin, shit. 
Eilers was it? Justin Eilers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like back in the day it was like those two. Now that the list sadly keeps growing as as, as, yeah. as Ashport gets older. Um, Bummer. BJ Penn, which is uh, which was Joey Gilbert. That was actually for those who don't know. Even though Jens Pulver was the lightweight champion, the first lightweight fight was actually at UFC 31. That was the first card where the UFC adopted the New Jersey weight classes, which were based off the weight classes that we still operate off today. And there was only one lightweight fight on that card, which was uh, Joey Gilbert versus BJ Penn. Um, I don't think I've ever uh, seen that fight, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, Joey Gilbert, I want to say, maybe not, I don't, hmm. Actually, no, Joey Gilbert was a Chicago guy, and uh, another guy, Matt Crichton, I think, was a Matt Sarah guy. But Joey Gilbert would uh, coach, uh, would be in the corner of like guys like Clay, Clay Guida and other Chicago mm-hmm. staples. Yeah. And uh, and I think that was just more because, you know, BJ Penn, uh, I've outlawed him for me on my list, but I'll just touch on it since it's apropos. It was crazy. I, I love these kind of debuts, too, not just because it's BJ Penn, but these kind of debuts where it's a jiu-jitsu guy who's known, you know, mm-hmm. he was the first American this and that to be the American. And he comes out and just fucking knocks out three guys in a row. Like, I love right. those debuts. You know, like, Tiago Silva, a lesser known, lesser accredited guy, but similar thing where it's like a jiu-jitsu guy, he comes and just starts fucking murdering guys on the feet. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, sliding throws. You're like, oh, okay. Like, Scary, I, dude. I always appreciate those kind of, like, surprising debuts. And then number one, of course, he, he agrees with this, um, Anderson, Anderson Silva. Uh, Jordan, any comments on those or uh, or, or any other uh, debuts while I pull up the Facebook? Uh, I, yeah, I'll, I'll give you more of my list, but uh, real quick, just Tiago Silva. My favorite Tiago Silva moment is actually him getting beat. Uh, it's uh, one of the most underrated knockouts of all time when Machida tripped him and then followed up with like the most precise ground strike I've ever seen. Oh, amazing. When he... Uh, when he, he throws him on his back, and then as he's trying to get up, he lands a quick straight right, and then uh, the bell rings, and Herb tells him to get up, and he can't. <laughs> it's over. It's uh, one of the one of the coolest knockouts in UFC that gets overlooked all the time. Uh, all right, some more honorable mentions from my list. Uh, how about Frankie Edgar at UFC 67? Uh, he beat Tyson Griffin in a really back and forth fight, and that was one where Tyson Griffin was the dude. That was the up and that was the young up and coming guy. Everyone was talking about Tyson Griffin. He had a couple good wins under his belt. He was young. He was. He looked to be marketable. He's cut. You know, he's a clean cut guy. Good. Good background. Seems like he's going to be the future of this division. And Frankie Edgar comes out and has an absolute war with him, and instantly makes a ton of fans and gets the win, and obviously launches a Hall of Fame caliber career. But I think that's that's a good one to touch on. Not that there was a Another crazy finish one. in yeah. it. But- just a back and forth fight that no one really knew Frankie Edgar at that point. Tyson Griffin was the guy that had all the the kind of hype behind him, and that's kind of weird to say right now that Tyson Griffin was expected to beat Frankie Edgar going into that fight. But that is um, crazy. That is crazy. As an honorable mention, by the way, great, great mention. Go ahead. Uh, a couple more, real quick. I got Justin Gagey. How about that one? Is uh, oh his yeah, tough- yeah. Pretty recent one, but his uh, back-and-forth war with Michael Johnson where he gets the TKO at the Tough 25 finale. Uh, I got a couple more, but I'll, I'll save them for after the Facebook ones. Here's here's one more to, to leave you with, though. Here's a, here's a hipster pick. Rustam Habilov at the Tough 16 finale where he KOs Vince Pichel with yes. a uh, suplex and then a, yes. bunch of un, a bunch of unnecessary ground strikes. Yeah. Clearly knocked out opponent, but you don't get a lot of uh, uh, suplex knockouts, and that was a that was a good one. Ironically, is the most exciting fight since too, right? <laughs> yeah. So now he's just all about grappling and just laying on you. Yeah, yeah he had the TKO injury one in a similar spirit against Yancy Medeiros, but that was an injury. Yeah. 
two right. like I think sizable ads between that and then a bunch of decisions. So that but but it almost makes that which which almost makes that 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 debut even more cool and slash hipster as well. So I agree with those. Wasn't on my list. The previous two were and deservingly so. Um, you know. Uh, obviously, Frankie Edgar and Justin Gaethje, just because it's not a hard and fast rule, because there are no rules in this podcast, clearly. But it was pretty recent, which kept it off. But that will—that's a fucking great fight, the Justin mm-hmm. Gaethje versus Michael Johnson. All right, uh, Facebook, um, John John Rico, of course, common classic contributor to the show, John John Rico, Jimmy One Manawa against Kyle Kingsbury. Mm. Remember that one? Kyle uh, Kingsbury has been on the wrong side of a few debuts. Just uh, yeah. FYI. Oh, one of the. He also. Yeah. Glover Teixeira as well. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and of course he is like always sporting. Like he looked like uh, was Mr. Satin from Dragon Ball Z with his haircuts and those <laughs> poor fights too. So it made him look more desperate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. uh, this one almost made my list actually. Paulo Tiago versus Josh Koscheck, which was UFC ninety five, a crazy card. Remember that? Yeah, it solidified the idea that Paulo Tiago was a knockout artist for me, and then uh, that backfired. Yeah, no, no shit, right? Oh my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember, it was a like, good one, though. and it's funny like he doesn't look like in retrospect when you do like a picture by picture comparison, but it bled in my head for so long, especially at the time where I first saw Paul Tiago, not knowing who he was, because Josh Koscheck was in this time where he's like, I'll fight anybody any any time. He kind of entered. It was the stage where he entered about this time, and he did this all the way till the end of the UFC, where he was just taking fights to take fights, and he made mm-hmm. a shit ton of money doing it. So whatever, good on him. Um, but uh, you know, got a couple, got a title shot or so, and then the mix. So whatever, good on him. But he was in this mix of just i'm just gonna take fights fuck it i'm just josh koscheck i'm a competitor and even though what you thought of josh koscheck you have to respect that because you were like you know what this guy's a, in that sense whatever you thought of him like this guy's a fighter's fighter in that sense he's going out there he has everything to lose in these fights and he's just going out there and fighting and that actually ironically made me respect josh koscheck despite his stigma from the ultimate fighter and here comes Paul Tiago, who I compared again, not looking at like the, the face by face, you know, comparison, but he looked like the guy who kills Tony Montana and Scarface, like the guy with the he shotgun. Does. He's behind. I'm like, look at this motherfucking assassin, and sure enough, he assassinated Josh Koscheck. Yeah, he did. He also looks like the bird teacher from Sesame Street. Yes, Holy or the sh- Muppets. The Muppets. Sorry, the Muppets. Holy yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. yeah. Holy shit! Great, great. Um, all right, John John Rico also had Ryan Jimmo against Andy Ramosh. Yeah, R.I.P. All right, another goddamn. All right, jeez, see, it's a bummer. Just talking about yeah. that again. That was a real bummer one too. Jesus, uh, Justin Gaethje, Michael Johnson. He agrees with us there. Frank Yeager versus Tyson uh, Griffin. Honorable mention: Todd Duffy versus Tim Haig, which we talked about. And wow, Pablo Garza versus Fred Shinpachao. Oh, that was a yes. wild one. Yeah. And didn't that, that own, didn't that earn Garza the fight with? Uh, he earned him a pretty high profile fight after that, I believe, too. With, it I did. Want to say and, Mark I, and I and I don't think it went well for him. But no, that was a great. That was a crazy knockout. That was one where I thought the dude was dead. Yes. Yeah. Holy shit. Every time I see Fred Simpashow, I think of that too. That fight. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Jacob Dowell. I can think of two at the top of my head. Lando Vernada versus Tony Ferguson. A good yeah. one. And here's one that I thought you were going to um, – um, uh, no, not here's one that I thought you were going to mention, but – it's along the theme of one I thought you were going to mention, and I won't give it away just yet because we, we still have some honorable mentions to give away. But this was one, a debuting guy, especially maybe in a headlining or co-headlining spot, and he lost, but fucking did awesome. And it made me a fan, and even though he, he didn't pan out or people don't think that highly of him, I still love watching him fight. That's Charles Rosa versus oh, Dennis yeah. Seaver. Boston Strong, yeah, that was a, that was a good one. Yep, yep. The, the, originally the Boston Strangler, and as he quoted... Started doing hospital visits to kids, and it's kind of hard telling them that the Boston Strangler is going to come visit them when they're dying of cancer. 
That's a pretty good Boston accent, Dan Tom. <laughs> that's a great point. That's a great point, Charles Rose. It is. Boston strong, maybe a little better. Good on you, kid. But uh, but that that was a great that was a, that was <laughs> that was a great pick there. Um, Oklahoma Knowles. Frankie Edgar, uh, which we covered. Justin Gaethje's, which we covered. Rashad Coulter, again, not a big guy. He lost, but that was a great. That was a great fight. Remember uh, what was the guy mm-hmm. he faced again? Uh, the guy, the uh, I'd have to guy. look it up. I don't don't remember his name, but yeah, that was a pretty recent one. And, and it was like it was like the Homer Simpson versus uh, versus uh, mm-hmm. uh, the the their Mike Tyson and the Simpsons. They Dr- call him Dred Rick Tatum. Yeah, where the guy almost where Rashad Coulter almost wins from from uh, a, a fighter gassing out from beating him. Oh, Chase Sherman, that's it, the GIF guy. Chase Sherman, yeah, Chase Sherman gorilla. almost gasses out from beating him. Uh, he, and Oklahoma Knowles, Brock and Reem, because they were huge names coming in. So the, he agrees with you on there, Jordan. Yep. Uh, clearly, Ronda was a huge debut too, which is what he said, which is true. That was a huge debut. Yep. That, that's a that's a that's a that's a chalk one that we completely missed too. Uh, well, at least for now. Uh, Lee Mur- Lee fucking Murray. Noah Hubs comes in. Oh shit! Yeah, good call, Lee Murray. Hannibal Mask dominates a top ten fighter in Jorge Rivera at the time. Then talks mad shit on Tito. That's it. It's not close. That that's a classic one. That's a really great pull. Uh, Great, 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 great pull, Buffalo Blue. Noah Hubs there. Really great pull. Lee fucking Murray. Is he out of jail already? He's out of jail, right? Or no, not yet? Still in Morocco? Uh, I honestly, I have no idea if he's in jail still or not. Jesus, I gotta look that up. All right, last one on the Facebook. Juan Lee Tran. Junior Dos Santos versus Fabricio Verdum. He agrees with us there. This one's on my honorable mention. Uh, Tyron Woodley versus Jay Haran. Oh yeah, that's uh, was that in the UFC? Yeah, it was because he because and the one before that was a devastating loss to Nate Marquardt to Marquardt. So that where was he a got, big yeah, fight. He got Tekken. He got Tekken combo. Yeah, highlighted. So it was a big fight for Woodley when you think about the trajectory of his career. A really, I totally, fight for him. I totally forgot Jay Haran was back in the UFC when that happened. And, and talk about poor Jay Haran, like. Ugh. He was a guy who had two stints, two shots to get UFC wins and never got it. And you bet that's shitty. But you look at it like uh, George, George St. Pierre, Tyron Woodley, and Jake Ellenberger in a close fight. Yep. And he got uh, got TKO'd by Jonathan Goulet, I think, in there too. Oh, yeah, but yeah, right, you're right. Yeah, yep, yep. I, I, out, of, out of all of those, though, he had some, some rough fights. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough draw. Uh, Frank Trigg versus Matt, Matt Hughes is on uh, Wanley Translist. Mm. Classic. Gary Goodrich versus Paul Herrera. He, he agrees with me on that one. I will never get that image out of my head. Right, he really agrees with me on that one then. Yeah. Hoist Gracie versus Art Jimerson. A classic. A good classic. choice. Yeah, good choice. All right. That was it for the uh, Facebook. Um, Jordan, any, any, any others to, to, to finish off your honorable mentions? Here? Yeah, a couple more. Actually, two of them that I thought of while we were sitting here getting ready to start, Dan. Uh, the first one I thought of was Eric Koch at UFC 128. Knocked out Rafael Asuncao. A guy who's yeah. consistently been a top five guy, and Coke, another dude who's kind of uh, kind of figured out, uh, can't figure out if he wants to which weight class he wants to fight at, and kind of his alternated wins and losses. But I remember after that, people were like, "This dude's for real. This hits the next big thing." Uh, and it was it was a good. That's a really good win on anybody's record because the Sunsau is still a top five dude. Um, yep. And then the the other the other one, I got a couple more here, but the other one no, I thought of right go. before yeah, we started yeah, was uh, Sayar Bahadrizada. Uh, oh, yeah. speaking of Paulo, speaking of Paulo Tiago, knocked Paulo Tiago out real good. Paid it his, uh, his, yeah, paid it forward to 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 Mr. Tiago. Crazy but, knockout uh, too, where it's just one of those knockouts. It looks like those perfect. You know, they say about the perfect golf swing, where you don't hear it nor do you feel it. Yep. That's how smooth the swing yep. is. That was that it punch was. that he landed. 
It looked like when you saw it from the back angle, it looked like he missed him, but yeah. then he just fell. He just fell like he was out. So you're like, oh shit! Uh, but then the the two two big ones that uh, I I struggled with not putting on my list: uh, UFC 92, Pat Barry leg kicks the living shit out of Dan oh, Evanson, nice. uh, which is the first time I ever saw heavyweights leg kicking like that. And I know Great Pat Barry had fight. a pretty extensive yeah it was a good fight it was back and forth and holy shit it was like man don't leave your legs down for that guy yeah. um and and speaking of legs down i had to throw this one in there because it was when i was at in auburn hills michigan outside detroit uh edson barboza yes. ufc 123 kicking the living bejesus out of mike lulo's legs and i have still to this day never heard heard anything like when Edson Barboza would land a kick on that dude's thigh. It sounded like, and I've said this before, I think on your podcast, it sounded like somebody had a baseball bat and they were hitting a side of beef. That's Dude, I'm what surprised it that it ended up on your list uh, or any of our list, to be honest, because that's a really deserving one. Uh, underrated or maybe not, maybe under the radar for some people, I should say, for, for a lot maybe, I should say, but but definitely deserving to be on the list. Ah, I forgot all about it. Yeah, yeah. You, you even uh, drilled that head to my, uh, further because I remember your story now when I, when I, when I think about that fight. Um, no, no, great, great stuff, and don't feel bad at all. I, I've, I've still got you know some to cut down through myself. Again, this is one of those lists where we said this is more of an honorable mention. But um, speaking of uh, Brock Lesnar and speaking of losing, uh, Brock Lesnar's debut at UFC 81. I yeah. remember that very well. You know, uh, I had a nice dinner with uh, my grandmother, the one that's still living. Shout out, shout out to Popo Doris there. Uh, we had a nice dinner there, and I came back to meet some friends and. Just remember, um, bef- getting there, I missed most of that card. I got there the fight before, and it was great because I got there for the fight before, if you remember, was Noguera versus Tim Sylvia for the interim heavyweight title because Randy Couture was oh, yeah. currently facing some non some contracts. And at the end, it's mm-hmm. crazy because at the end, you have you know Noguera, classic Noguera getting beat up, and then he does the, 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 the trap where he, he gives Tim Sylvia an underhook get up but baits the, baits the guillotine and yep. guillotines him and has a classic post by the Randy we fight for the championship you know it's really broken English and uh, it is funny I remember watching my buddy shout out to Sean Starrett my buddy metalhead friend just cla- you know casual fans just watching it just kind of in awe at UFC watching maybe one of his first UFC events and him just laughing because I remember I actually didn't even like show up for the walk-ins and he was there for the walk-in but I, just knowing Noguera from Pride and, and kind of knowing yeah. the sport at that time, I could kind of pontificate uh, even though walking in. And I remember as Noguera gave that speech and they're laughing at this fucked up Brazilian guy who looks like he's a, a, a spry 40. But Noguera's probably mm-hmm. only 31 at the time. <laughs> you know? yeah. And uh, and they're just kind of laughing at this this guy. They're still, they're still you know, laughing at what they're seeing, like uh, encapsulating, you know, digesting the win, if you will. And they go, the fucked up thing was, as fucked up as that guy looks right now, guys. He walked into the fight looking like that, <laughs> and yeah. everybody started yeah. laughing. And they didn't know that they didn't know Noguera the sport, but they and they knew. Like, yeah, he did walk in looking like he was fucked up. And then at that point, you know, you start explaining to the casual, yeah, that guy was hit by a truck when he was fucking five. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, that has nothing to do with the Brock Lesnar pick, but that was the Brock Lesnar pick. Remember, you remember a- that? Do you remember that fight though? Before I move on, do you remember that? The, the, oh, those two. Absolutely. Absolutely, but you just brought up a, just a very quick yes, yes, story. Please, please. I, I, man, you saying he he walked into the fight looking like that. I remember watching uh, a George St. Pierre fight at, at a bar that I was working at, and the bartender, who was an older guy who had never watched never watched UFC, but he grew up in a really tough part of the south side of Chicago. He had seen some shit. He was probably in his mid-40s. Uh, his name was Richard. He was an old black dude. He was awesome. I fucking love this guy. And he he looked up at the TV, saw George St. Pierre walking out in a gi. He's like, you don't want to fight no motherfucker. Come out in a gi like that. 
Yes, yes. So good. And that still sticks with you, though. That sticks with I you. Know. Uh, I know. All right, moving on. Uh, th- this one again, um, it, it, it almost... <laughs> It, it almost, it almost, it almost made my list, but uh, I believe it was Mark Coleman. Maybe, wow. Okay, just in case I'm gonna hedge my bets here. Uh, sipping on a little whiskey during this podcast, but uh, the survival thing, I might have confused that from Mark Coleman's debut. Either way, um, Mark Coleman and Don Fry both had funny things about their debut, but not quite worthy of making this list. But Mark right. Coleman was an important debut. Um, the reason why I made my honorable mentions, even though not the list, because that was the the kind of influx of the wrestler slash yep. highly jacked dude. Where the now we're, house guys. Yep. Now we were seeing big guys, but had they had skills? They were tradesmen. They right. at least had had a trade yep. to bring in, even if it was just one like wrestling. Um, Conor McGregor is a classic kind of a chalk one. I remember that. Sure. You know. You know. Sure. I, I actually did know him from Cage Warriors through following MMA Junkie. But this was a, that was that 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 market's brimage for anybody following the sport at the time was like they they knew something special was was kind of coming around the corner. Um, Makwanamir Khani surprisingly almost made my list at the yep. UFC Sweden card, and this is a little biased because I bet two underdogs in that card that paid off big, and they were really unsuspecting. It was Makwanamir Khani versus Andy Ogle and Kenny yep. Robertson versus um, I forget oh. the, the, the Dagestani dude. Remember. My my boy, yeah, Kenny Robertson lives like uh, twenty minutes away from me. He's a good dude. Fuck yeah, he looks like he reminds me. He looks like a, a young spry Dan Aykroyd pre Ghostbusters, you know, like uh, <laughs> he does. with a shaved head. He does. But, uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember the dude's name. It was not Omaria Kmetov, but no. it was one of those dudes. <laughs> Real similar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, one of those nice Chechen fellows. Yeah, yeah, he fought like Boyan Velishkovich after like a three year yeah. layoff. So that's why his name's escaping yeah. our head. But but anyways, yeah, he knocks him out with, like a spinning back fist, something ridiculous. Like I thought the wrestling would nullify. So I took him a dog. But I didn't expect you to get him with a fucking spinning back fist. I know. And then Amakwan Amirakani just does nothing he would be known for, maybe for that trademark, even though it was highlight worthy. I don't even think it made a highlight real. But you come out and knock out a guy. You, all your wins are by submission. And you're like a plus 350 underdog against a guy who's like on an 0-4 losing streak, which made no sense. So I, I think I might have even just blind betted Amakwan Amirakani, even though like he beat guys like Tong Duke in a while. We didn't. Tom Dukenwa obviously isn't panned out to what he was supposed to be, but not even his hype was built up. So there was nothing on Makwan Amir Khani yet. I just kind of blind bet him. So I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This is an undefeated guy, a wrestler, accolades, all wins by submission. I'm going to take him for his wrestling, just same reason for Kenny Robertson. Again, he goes out and gets a crazy, flashy knockout. So it was right. crazy betting on these wrestler underdogs who came out and got like, the flashiest knockouts of the night in their in both their debuts. I think Kenny Robertson, that was his UFC debut too in all the way in goddamn Sweden. But uh, and then he has an epic, which would be kind of his mo. He, he's he's an eccentric guy, Macwan Amirakani. But not mm-hmm. knowing him, he had this really like. Did he just take ecstasy and do an interview with Joe Rogan? Because again, this was when Joe Rogan was still doing the, the, the European cards. You know what I'm saying? And it was just right. a, me- a memorable post fight. It was a very underrated but memorable UFC debut. Yeah, those are good ones. Good choices. A- any more on your list before I knock out the rest of mine, Jordan? I don't want. No, no, man. I, I went through all of them. I, I kind of trimmed a couple of them off because I was like, eh, you know, I don't think so. But I, I went through my list. Okay, a couple more that I just feel like I, I kind of be remiss if I don't talk about. Um, Rampage Jackson versus Marvin Eastman, just real quick, because I remember always remember the mm-hmm. post-fight watching. It's some black-on-black crime because there was so much, like, uh, a hype on, on, on Rampage coming in. And there's so much dependent uh, matchups, depending on him winning that fight. That one almost stuck in yeah. my head. That was early fandom. Uh, and, and another one, uh, George St. Pierre at UFC 46 versus Carl Parisian. Um, yeah. Th- and this one, because not just because it was George St. Pierre and all the reasons, it was a, a really amazing fight um, that I suggest people go back and watching from a grappling standpoint at least. The striking, meh. 
you might be able to maybe the fight doesn't translate for people outside of a hipster mindset like me but grappling wise it translates to today and i'm a little biased because the opposite point the less popular point is carl parisian who i'm actually connected to through lineage because carl parisian only awarded one black belt which was neil melanson who Mm. i'm ranked under and neil melanson of course only has three black belts patrick bijan the least popular of the three, former roommate of mine, and of course, Randy Couture and Frank Trigg being his others. Uh, Neil Melanson went to work with you know, Alliance Extreme Couture uh, down at you know, South Florida with a lot of the fighters there, uh, down at with Henry Hooft. And now he's actually at in Genesis Training Center, which is going to be crazy because he's working with guys like Justin Gaethje and Curtis Blades. I named them right. specifically and tactically as things to watch out for if you analyze their games and what could make them really dangerous and Neil's catch wrestling background. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, th- this was uh, – sorry, I got, 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 got a – holy shit, got, 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 side, got sidetracked there. But, but yeah, Neil came from Caro. He was actually side, uh, in, on the sidelines for that fight. And mm-hmm. it was crazy because a lot of the stuff that Neil would teach us was like techniques that we saw based out of that fight. And I, I always talk in my breakdowns. If you read my breakdowns, I talk about the turtle position a lot. Yeah. And that comes from Neil, and that actually comes from Caro, where Turtle looks like a weak position. Where we even till still till today, we classify Turtle as the position we see before a fight stopped. We see a guy turtle up, oh, the fight's about to be yep. stopped. That's our stereotype for Turtle. But if you watch, like, uh, George St. Pierre comes one of his closest to being submitted before the Matt Hughes fight, of course, where he actually got submitted. Aside from that, the closest he comes to being submitted is that is that Carl Parisian fight. He almost gets straight arm locked, which is a very basic yep. submission, but it's set up from the turtle. Uh, a Kimura uh, figure four reversal, very catch wrestling-esque move. Uh, uh, not, not so much judo, but more catch wrestling, which, which has a lot of in- intricacies of judo, which Carl was known for. Right. And again, if you're a technique kid, there's just so many layers that were way way ahead of its time and just again to be connected to that lineage not just for saying it for bias sticks but again spending time in the practice room um looking at these techniques and seeing like oh shit i get where these techniques came from these came from the guy from before the guy who actually right. tried it out against the fucking guy of guys george st pierre right. and, and that 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 yeah. fight that fight was one that i that i that i had to mention good choice and two obvious ones that I didn't mention was Vitor Belfort, uh, Trey Tellman, UFC mm-hmm. 12, just because it's so obvious. And Tank Abbott right. versus David Matua, which I referenced a lot, but also because I, as much as it, 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 it's memorable, it's, it's, it's a really it's – a, it's a bad spot in our sport if people don't realize what this fight was. This was Tank Abbott. He knocks out a guy who was – you know, survival was a funny one, but David Matua was considered Hawaiian bone-breaking or whatever, which was, I don't yeah. know, another invented martial art. But he knocks the guy out brutally. It was a brutal knock, knockout and – Tank Abbott kind of taunts him and makes like a like you know pardon my French but you know I know it's an inappropriate word but like not just making fun of the guy but like makes like makes like a retarded gesture like oh he's retarded now and like a very ugly gesture a very ugly post fight and it was kind of one of those classic black eyes that John McCain and many people used against the sport and it was kind of yeah. hard to blame him for using it against the sport it was a very bad black eye so for that reason I felt that it shouldn't be on my list but I did wanted to mention that one. Uh, that's a good point, man. Uh, Tank Abbott was one of those guys that you, you can't erase your history. You know, you're going to go through and he he's one of those guys that I think uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's shitty to say he didn't add a lot to the sport, but uh, he's got some big knockouts. But I think more than anything, I think that that type of image is something that took a, a, a long time to shake. Um, took a long time to shake in the general the general population and in states like New York that looked at it as barbaric and they would look back and say, well, look at this. This guy 
you know, you got guys like this fighting in like undersized gym shorts with a beer gut. And uh, uh, he looks like he just came off his uh, an alt right rally. Uh, not to offend anybody, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. It is what it is. I think you said, you said it well. Uh, I'm glad that I'll just put it this way. I'm glad to see that, uh, that he was knocked out a few times later in his career. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) He was, if you go back and watch like Tanya, there was some real douchey behavior, man. It was, it was a dickhead. It was real bad. And just maybe to end on a high note, I just want to name off three underrated ones to see if you have any, any thoughts on them. Um, Johnny Hendricks versus Amir Sadal at UFC 101. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem like a big one, but that was surprising at the time because Johnny Hendricks wasn't Johnny Hendricks, and Amir Sadal still nope. had the tough rub. And this was a crazy tough kind winner. of yep. surprising knockout in the first round. Real fast, Johnny Hendricks comes out to a sweet Rolling Stones intro. That he didn't, I, I, I'm bummed that he didn't keep. Um, Yoshihiro Akiyama just won one UFC card before that at UFC 100 versus Alan Belcher. Amazing fight. It was a good fight. That was and, a crazy fight. And a really underrated one. Houston Alexander, UFC 171 versus Keith Jardine. This was when the UFC light heavyweight division was at its heyday. And for people that were following the sport, the UFC.com had a sweet flash design that was like almost like the Star Wars 3D chessboard where it had like if you went to the UFC.com, mm-hmm. it was a circular chessboard of all the players at light heavyweight. And every guy you went mm-hmm. to, you're like, this is a badass. And that's yeah. where the lightweight – and this guy, Houston Alexander, one of the most like – Badass debuts, like, oh, this guy has fucking a huge history. Line him up. This guy's got plenty of life to him. And it didn't really pan out, but this was a really good debut. Yep, huge knockout. That was a, that was a good one. Good pick. Anyways. Wow. I think we covered, we covered the majority. I'm sure we missed plenty, but I think we did, we did it some justice, I got to say. I agree, man. I think we touched a lot of them. Uh, it was it was a good one, and, and you know what? Just uh, I, I thought of a good topic for our next one, and I'll I'll, okay. I'll tell it yes. to you off yes. air because yes. I, I don't want to I don't want to tease anyone too much. But uh, next time you have me on, I've got a good topic for us. Well, it's no secret that you'll be back on and be back on sooner than later. So I can't wait for that. Um, but before we go, Jordan, anything you want to get out or plug? We didn't even mention your podcast you got, bud. Oh, it's all good, man. Uh, pound for pound podcast, myself and uh, UFC light heavyweight. I can proudly say sam alvey smiling sam alvey um do it we've been been a little bit crazy because he's been traveling doing a little training off-site so we've got another one coming out almost every week you can check it out on itunes or how, wherever you get your podcasts it's p4p podcast pound for podcast uh myself sam moved up to 205 probably gonna be permanent after his last knockout win he doesn't have to cut as much weight there dude that guy was cutting 40 pounds almost to get down to 85 and i i mean i I, i'm just his buddy like i can't imagine the his wife had to be nagging him to stop doing stop killing himself to get down there so happy to say sam's fighting at 205 he looks great he feels great and uh and we yeah we, we put out a podcast almost every week and uh you can listen to it there Dude, I got to be 100% real with you. I am so happy to hear that. Uh, and again, being 100% real, you should subscribe to the podcast and listen to it because I subscribe and listen to it. Although I will admit, I haven't listened to the latest one. But the latest one I did listen to, you did, Jordan, cover that with Sam uh, as far as covering where he's going to fight next. And I, by the way, I wanted to mention that to you. Uh, off air, on air, it really didn't matter. We're, we keep it real here in the particular podcast. I was really happy to hear you have that conversation with Sam and to hear him say that because – uh, again, you know Sam's a great guy, and I always credit. I'm always the first to credit him for like as far as like underrated guys, as far as people need to look at for taking control of your career. The show doesn't matter where you are, where you think you are. Uh, on a good example to follow, I think Sam provides that as far as how he handles his career in post fight. 
But, you know, as far as the weight cutting, the matchups, I was, I'll be honest, as, as a fan, you know I love Sam. We've had him here on the show multiple times. Only UFC fighter I've had on, much less multiple times. But I was really worried about the decisions he was making, man. And hearing that he's staying at 205, especially how good he looked last fight, I'm so happy to hear that, man. But, yeah, anybody listening to this, please subscribe to the Pound for Pound podcast if you're not already. Um, it's honestly worth the listen. I can tell you to give it a five-star review, but it's honestly worth that five-star ratings and reviews. Go check them out. I appreciate it, man. That means a lot coming from you. And just, just, uh, I mean, as a little insight, as a little incentive to go listen to our podcast. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the things that you were saying are totally valid. And it's a conversation that Sam and I had on air that, you know, Sam, Sam's too goddamn tough for his own goddamn good. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of you, a lot of MMA fighters are, and especially guys that make it to the UFC. And Sam's issue was they would say, Hey, do you want to fight so and so in three weeks? And Sam would have a broken foot and say, Yep, absolutely. Yep. I'll fight him. And, you know, it's everyone could have told him, dude, you shouldn't do that. But at the end of the day, Sam's like, I have kids. I have a family. I'm trying to I know that this sport Sam's also a very smart guy. And he understands that your career window in this is very short. So he's trying to maximize what he can do for himself and his family in the time that he has to do it. So I, I, I can't really criticize him too much for taking fights on short notice. And, and, but I think the last one where he finally missed weight for the first time in like 45 professional fights, cause he took it on like two and a half weeks notice and tries to cut 35 pounds in like two weeks. Uh, finally, finally got to him. The fact yeah. that he, he couldn't make the weight, I think really, really bummed him out and hurt him. And he felt like he let the UFC down, which is, you know, silly, but that's just cause Sam's a good guy and he's right. an honest guy and he always he always tries to tries to 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 meet his contract. So, but uh, man, he looks like a total different beast at 205. He's so much stronger and so much healthier. He doesn't he still has to obviously watch what he eats, but man, he doesn't have to cut weight the way he did. So he's he's lifting weights all throughout training and He's able to. I mean, it's just. It's. I'm telling you, he's going to make a run at the top ten at, at 205. Oh, and again, speaking of strategy, like a much better weight class as far as opportunity. So now he's got a new lease, and he's starting it with a win. So I'm definitely excited. Uh, I'll definitely be tuning in for future episodes. And speaking of iTunes, you can, you can of course give us a rating and review, which we, we'd appreciate here uh, for the Protecting Neck podcast. And uh, on you know, of course, we're hosted mixedmartialinus.com. For you know your your Amazon and on it click throughs and all that good stuff just by the love, but man, thank you again, Jordan. Um, again, at Jake Killian MMA to find them, and we'll definitely have you on sooner than later, my friend. Uh, I will be back here next week for a. Uh, probably have another Jordan on the show for some fantasy breakdown there. A uh, little hint, hint there, but but we'll be talking some UFC 223 for the next episode. I'm excited. I'll actually, be in Brooklyn, be in Brooklyn for that one, and and it'll be an earlier episode, but. Uh, my bladder is a calling, so Jordan, I think it's about time for us to get out of here, man. Thank you again. Thank you guys for listening. And of course, until next time, always protect your necks.